I want to welcome you to the Pro Mindset Podcast. The Pro Mindset Podcast is all about diving into the headspace that results in championship performance. High-performing athletes, winners, have this mental flow and have a positive headspace for their performances and success. Join me, Craig Doman, sports attorney and NFL agent, on this podcast. I will interview pro athletes, college athletes, football coaches, and sports personalities. Together, we can discover how you can get in the flow and have your own pro mindset. Okay, I want to welcome Mark Bowrichter, former wide receiver with the Kansas City Chiefs, to the Pro Mindset Show today. Mark, thank you for being on. Oh, thanks for having me, Craig. Okay, Mark, we're going to talk today about your career, your successes, your challenges, most of which I want to, I want to dive into your mindset. You came out of Hastings College in Hastings, Nebraska. That's an NAIA school. Not very many guys go from NAIA to the NFL. Right. Fair? Uh, not, yeah, oh, very fair statement. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to dive right into, was it 2002? or two, your, your senior season was 2001? Uh, senior season was 2000. Or 99, was, actually. Fall of 99. 99. Holy smokes, you're dating this means, me. This, I know. That just means we're getting old. That's what I know. Is. Okay, so <laughs> your, your senior season was 1999. So that was a different century, just so you know. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and you didn't get the opportunity that you were hoping for with the NFL right out of the blocks. So what did you and your dad do to give yourself an opportunity to go somewhere? I think at that point, I just wanted an opportunity to play or continue playing. And coming from a small NAI school, um, we had had a, a guy by the name of Jerry Drake who in early 90s, 93, 94, uh, went pro and played. Uh, for the Arizona Cardinals for about seven, eight years. He was a defensive lineman. So I knew there was an opportunity potentially for me. And the draft came and went, and uh, there weren't any calls, uh, which was fine. But I had an opportunity to go work out and try out for a Canadian Football League team in the Calgary Stampede. So I got a call, I believe, on like a, a Monday or Tuesday and said, hey, we want to work you out. It's in Dallas, Texas, uh, and it's Saturday. Can you be there? I talked to my father, who was the athletic director at Hastings at the time, and so we got in the car and drove nine hours to, to Dallas, Texas, and got there Friday night and went to the field, and I wanted to be prepared for the workout, so we went to the, the big high school stadium, of course, in Texas, and we were able to get into the stadium, so I ran around a little bit and stretched my legs Friday night and went and had a good meal and got up the next day and, and came out for this invitation-only workout with about you know 50 or 70 other prospects out there in multiple positions, and thought it went extremely well got over and they said we'll be in touch and so uh, I got back in the car with my father and drove back and to, to Hastings Nebraska and I believe a day or two later uh, the call came that they wanted to sign me uh, for a whopping $34,000 a year and I think at that point I just wanted to continue playing and I thought I could play at the next level but based on the level of competition I played and this is not to downgrade anything in the NAIA just didn't know and if it didn't work out for me, my mindset at that point was, if it didn't work out for me, I'll just go get another job or I'll get into coaching or do something in that capacity. But ended up going to Calgary and, and came into a perfect situation. Well, hang on a second. Yeah. I got I to gotta break this out. The CFL comes down and does all these U.S. camps. Correct. And they sign a boatload of guys. Mm -hmm. And they bring them in in June, early June for the start of training camp. And they cut a majority of the guys within two days. I mean, literally look at them. Compare them to everybody and send them home. And you you made it past that part. Not only did you make it past that part, you I don't know if you were rookie of the year, but you were up for rookie of the year in the whole CFL after your first year. 
tell everybody kind of your statistics your rookie year. Yeah, so when I got up there, first of all, I think my mindset was I just want to make the team, right? And I came into a, a good situation when Alan Pitts was their leading receiver for Calgary. Uh, he, at the time, he was the all-time leading receiver in anything CFL-wise. He was a Jerry yes. Rice of the CFL. A team that was really, really good. And to your point of how many guys were there, for those that don't know, I think it's a situation you look at it and say, you know, the CFL has different roster limits and roster rules. And so there was a Canadian, There's you can, only, you can only have so many American guys on your roster. And I was one of 12 receivers for one position, American position. And so with that, I had an uphill climb. But I came in, played the first preseason game. The first time I touched the ball, I took it 60 yards for a touchdown. And at that point, I knew I was probably going to stick. But my rookie year... We had four receivers that went over 1,000 yards. We had the MVP. Uh, Dave Dickinson was our quarterback. I didn't make the rookie of the year for the entire league, but I was our team nominee for it. Felt like I got hosed. I probably should have had it. But what it did, I think, that year was establish for me a mentality that not only did I belong and play, but now my sights were also set of potentially playing in the NFL. And so that's when things really started to take off for me, I think, mentally, knowing that hey, this is going to be a matter – it's only going to be a matter of time when I get an opportunity in the NFL. Well, and the way it works in the CFL, or at least at, at that point in time, is you can't get out of your contract. And so you signed a deal where Calgary had an opportunity to exercise an option to bring you in for the second year, and they wouldn't let you out of that extra year for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. You had over 1,000 yards right. receiving, and you were one of their best players. So that opened up the eyes of the NFL from the standpoint that they, they knew who you were, and they had their eyeballs on you your whole second year. So after your second year, we had a workout in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And then we had around 24 NFL teams show up. And the biggest thing I can remember is in the indoor bubble. Biggest thing I can remember is the 4-4-1. Yep. And when a white boy runs a 4-4-1 and he's got the size and measurables you have, everybody's like bug-eyed. All these scouts are walking around going, holy smokes. And then, then you had opportunities with Indianapolis and a variety of different teams, and you decided to uh, sign with Kansas City. So let's, let's move into Chief World. Mm-hmm. Okay, You're a rookie in the NFL, but you're really not a rookie because you've had the opportunity to play in two years in Canada. Right. What was your mindset? What were your goals? What was your like head trash, the stuff? Where were your doubts going into your adventure with Kansas City? Well, I chose Kansas City, first of all, because I thought it was the best opportunity for me to get on the field. You know, uh, I took a little less money to come to Kansas City than to go catch balls from Peyton Manning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So it might have been a situation that I may have been crazy looking back on it in a lot of ways. And it wasn't that much much, much of a difference monetarily, but it was it was a situation. I've, I had an opportunity to get saying, on the field. Are you dogging Trent Green? What are you no, I'm not here? dogging Trent at all. I, 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 I felt... I mean, you know this when we went through it. I wanted to get in a spot where there was a good quarterback, too. Sure. And, and I felt comfortable with that decision. So coming in, I felt really good about my opportunity in Kansas City. And then um, the rumor mill started swirling after I, I had signed here once free agency opened that they were going to go get another receiver and sign another receiver. But it didn't really mess with me mentally because I knew I still needed to make the team. And I needed to do whatever my mentality was at that point, do whatever it takes to make this team. Coach Ramil actually called me into his office right before they signed Johnny Morton and said, hey, you're still in our plans here, just FYI. You know, we, we do need to upgrade um, overall as a whole, but but you're going to be here. We want you to be here um, on everything. So I felt more comfortable. Not that I had made the team by any means, but I felt comfortable, okay, 
they're looking at me in the plans here. Um, one of the best things that happened to me coming in through the offseason program was Tony Gonzalez was was going into a contract year, uh, or pretty close to it, and was holding out a little bit. So he wasn't present with us through a lot of our OTAs and mini camps. And so my versatility, I got to learn the entire offense, and I ran a lot of his routes in our practices with the ones um, as I learned the offense. And that was one of the best things for me because I'd learned every single position. I learned the entire scope of our offense. And then, you know, he's a Hall of Fame tight end, and here I am running the routes that he normally runs in games in a lot of ways. Did so, you fill his shoes or not? Uh, <laughs> practice, maybe so, yes, but, but certainly not. But I think that's what helped me out initially with my, my, with my mindset coming in. And then as we got to training camp, two days into training camp, I was having a pain in my stomach, and I thought that maybe I had pulled an abdominal muscle or something running through the first two days of training camp and come to find out my appendix had flared up and I had appendicitis. So I ended up that night going and getting my appendix out, which appendix out, which set me back, what I thought was setting me back for you know a couple, a couple weeks. And at that point, now we're really going back when you know there were actual two-a-day practices for three, four days in a row. So I felt like I missed out a lot. So I got off to a slower start. Well, hang on. Yeah. How did you stay in, how how did you stay engaged during that process when you were doing that appendicitis recovery? Staying engaged for me wasn't an issue. It was more about wanting to get back physically faster. Um, so I stayed engaged with everything we were doing, um, you know, throughout training camp, uh, and just focused on my rehab. And then you know I had a really good grasp of the offense already, but it also you know expands at that point. And so for me, it was just about staying focused and a little bit having to feel like I may have to do a little bit extra when I come back uh, because they don't know the complete player I am yet because they haven't seen me within their team. They've seen me within practices, but not not enough in a game situation. Not in full pads. Not in full pads in a game situation. So it was just, I think, for me, mindset-wise, staying focused on doing the rehab I needed to do. And with the appendicitis, it's not like a pulled muscle. There's only so much you can do. You're recovering from a surgery. And that's not an ACL surgery. It's not any of those physical ailments that, that are a football-related injury. It's an internal piece. You just it's There's only a matter of time. And so that that part can be frustrating, but I think I just tried to stay engaged as much as I could with the team so that when I did get back and my opportunity was there, that, that I was ready to go. Okay, so you had a fabulous rookie year in the mm-hmm. NFL. I believe you had double-digit touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. Close. Close. At eight. Yeah, eight. eight. Yep. So you had eight, and you had about 20-some catches? Yeah, I think right at 30, 28, 29 20 catches. 30. So it seemed like about every three touches or yeah. four was a touchdown, right? Yeah, it felt that way, too. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a cool thing. So let's let's back up for a second and go, let's say, for example, you're talking to a college kid that's going into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now, because the sun set on your career, you're out in the real world. What would you have done the same, and what would you have done more if you get, if you had a chance to do it over again? I think there are a lot of things I would have done the same. The one thing I think that that I didn't handle as well as I wanted to, and what I would say, say to guys in my first year, I was all about embracing whatever my role was going to be on the team, and because of my slow start to the year with the appendicitis and the reps, I wasn't involved in the offense into as much or in games until about the fourth, fourth, fifth week of the season. Now, I played all special teams during that time frame, but in terms of the scope of the offense, I wasn't as involved. I had a great year in 2002, which was my rookie year, and I made it my goal for 03 to, to be the starter. 
and I outproduced in 2002 the receiver that they brought in, right? And thought, okay, my opportunity is going to be here to start. I don't think I handled it as well to start 2003 as I probably should have mentally. And I think in what way? I think I was disappointed because I didn't start, and I led the team in in the receiving in the preseason. Not to use the cliche that was in the best shape of my life, but I was in the best shape of my life and ready to go. And what I realized afterwards was I was still my role was still going to be to play special teams, and I was still going to be a part of the offense. It just wasn't the role I wanted to be as a part of the offense. So I was disappointed in that, and I felt I had earned it. But I think with that, though, came as later on I looked at this and said, okay, you know what, because I knew every single wide receiver position, I knew our entire offense, I was more valuable as the number one backup guy than I was to be the starter because a few of the other guys on our team in the receiver positions only played one position, so to speak. So I didn't embrace that role enough at the time, and I think it wasn't like I didn't embrace it. I didn't fully embrace it because I was disappointed, and I didn't fully embrace it until later in that year. So I got off to a slower start and struggled a little bit, and and a lot of it I think was – because I was, I don't want to say I was pouting about it, but internally felt that, that I had earned the spot and, and, you know, I didn't get the opportunity to really show it. Well, you bring up a great concept, which is, you know, so many, so many players count the reps instead of make the reps count. Mm-hmm. Some people count the reps and make the reps count. Right. And some people care more about, they care too much about whether they're the starter or what position they are playing as opposed to what they do when they play. So representing coaches and being in that world for the last decade, what I see from talking to coaches is they, they only see what you do on the field. And so what player, but players, I mean, going back to high school, every Friday night, you knew who was going to start. Mm-hmm. You didn't go through warm-ups before a Friday night game going, right. I hope I'm starting tonight. You just knew. And then you were all world in college, same program. So then when you go to the pros, you think it's the same program. It's not the same program, right? Right. Yeah. And so we can't go back and do the woulda, coulda, shoulda thing. But if you could have maybe just focused on, hey, every time I'm out on the field, I'm going to be a son of a bitch to cover. I'm going to give my quarterback, Trent Green, every opportunity to throw me the ball because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get open. I'm going to create space and I'm going to catch it. Because then your role just seems to naturally evolve and get bigger. And I see this a lot with the players, and it's guys like you that are smart. Is like you want that like place where you can just say, "This is my place." And in the NFL, very few people get that. They don't give you a yeah. place. They don't ever let you get comfortable. They don't let you get comfortable. And I think for me, that's not that I want to be comfortable, but I think it was a situation that I felt that I had earned it, you know. And then instead of embracing the reps I did have, because I was still active every day, I was still playing a lot. Um, I think I put a little too much pressure on myself to prove every opportunity I had. So I got, a, you know, I had a few balls thrown to me early in the season. I remember that that I probably should have made the play on that I normally do or normally did, and I didn't. And I look back on it now a little bit and say I can't remember specific ones, but I sit there and look at it and say, okay, you know, I, I was putting too much pressure to be like I'm gonna I'm gonna show them here, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna make the big play instead of just making the play that I needed to do for my team and. So it's difficult to find that balance and embrace the role. I still embraced the role that I had. I was just disappointed because I wanted to be in a different spot. And instead of, I don't want to say going about business the way I did the year before, because that's what I did. I still did all those things. 
but it just creeps in the back of your mind that there that's man i'm getting shafted here i should be starting and then you put a little you try to i don't want to say try too hard but you try to do too much instead of just making the play or just letting it evolve in itself for sure a lot of time athletes regardless of the sport just want to make the big play want to score the touchdown want to make the highlight reel want to be on the espn top 10 plays on those type of plays sometimes they, they don't make the catch because uh, they're trying to score when all they need to do is get a first down. So that is a very normal. What you went through yeah. is very normal. Oh, very much so. You know, and it, it sucks that you go, you know, that you realize it. I mean, in any given locker room, like on 53-man 53, 53 rosters, how many guys are really happy? Is it 53? The, no, it's probably the, the top five, six guys that are getting paid a lot of money. <laughs> I yeah. mean, let's be real. Like, and, even real. Some, and even those guys a lot of times aren't happy because they're, they're not getting paid as much as they want to get paid, you know. But the rest of them... Are I look at it? Just there's there's ten fifteen guys on a roster that, to your point of have their spots and feel comfortable, and then everybody else is is a role player. I think it's a situation though that guys have to embrace their role, and I embraced my role. I was a really good special teams player. I I, I embrace it f- fully with what my role is. But that's most guys are just you know they're trying to see what's next, right? Or they're not happy. They're not getting the ball enough. You know, coach isn't giving me an opportunity. And sometimes it's just about buying your time and, and waiting for the opportunity and then taking advantage of it. Well, there's two things that I see with an NFL roster. One is that there really is the more syndrome going on because even your franchise quarterback's hoping or thinking he's worth more than the guy that's making more right, than him. Right, right, yep. And then you would think that all 22 starters would be happy, but they're not happy because a lot of them haven't been paid yet. They're they're trying to make sure they don't get hurt and they get paid. Then you got a lot of guys that are backups that think they really are better than the starter, mm-hmm. and they can't understand why they're not getting more reps because they 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 outperform, they want it more, they think they want it more, they care more, they work harder than the guy that's actually doing the job in their own mind. So one of the things that I see is that everybody lives in their own world. So when it comes to that fifty-three man roster, it is pretty remarkable that. So many of the guys are not real happy. And then if you look at receiver position, holy smokes, there's only five eligible receivers on any given play. Mm-hmm. So if you got the ball evenly, that's 20% of the time. And we don't throw it every play. Right. So it's like, I've never met a receiver that's like, man, man, quarterback needs to give me a break. He keeps throwing me damn ball all the time. <laughs> no, it never happens. I, I need to come in. I, hey, bro, I'm tired of running these routes. No, he wants the ball every time. Absolutely. So there's a lot of frustration that goes on in the locker room and even in the huddle that the average fan doesn't realize. You had some pretty high moments, too, in mm-hmm. your NFL career. What, was, what do you think the secret sauce was, or what was your mindset? What was your approach when you were rocking? You know, your rookie year may have been your best year as far as a receiver, especially with respect to touchdowns. Right. What was going on that allowed you to be like in the zone, so to speak? I think for me that year, working into it slowly, as we talked about with my injury on side of things, and then having a clear mind. And when I say having a clear mind, as I just talked about the 03 year of thinking too much. I think in 2002, for me, my rookie year, a lot of the rookies' heads are swimming in a lot of different stuff because you've got a lot of different things coming at you, family, you know, whatever it may be, off the field and on the field. But for me, I didn't feel that way because I had two years – playing professional ball in the Canadian Football League. So I felt I was I didn't feel like a rookie, as we talked about before. But I think I had a clear mind. Like, I didn't care 
so much about everything else. If I just went out and played and, and had fun doing it and had a good time with it. And it's easy to do that when things are going well for you too. But I think for me, it was, I wasn't worried about whether I should be starting or not. I felt I should, but at the same time, I didn't worry about that. I just embraced where I was. And, you know, I'll go back to, to that year with eight touchdowns. There was a point later in the year where, you know, you're, you're on TV and you have the production meetings on, on Saturdays, you know, whether you're on the road or at home. I was never a part of those before, you know, and also we get to week 14, 13, and now I'm in talking to the national broadcast crew in the production meeting that as a, as a key cog to the offense all of a sudden, and they're asking me, you know, all you do is catch touchdowns. What, what's the secret for it? And I'm like, I don't really have a secret for it. It's just provided opportunities. Now, I'll tell you now that in 2002, some of my highest moments were because Tony Gonzalez was on the other side of the field, right, and drawing double coverage, and I – was able to beat single coverage. I would tell you that my signature play of my career, the NFL record 99-yard touchdown reception and Chiefs record, I wasn't even the primary receiver on the route. But I didn't care. I just ran my route hard and did my job. And I know there's a lot of made about the Patriots and the do your job thing. I think that for me, I just went out there and did what I had to do with my preparation and did my job, and those opportunities came to me. I didn't worry about when is the next opportunity coming? So let me describe to you 02 compared to 03. 02 was you were focused on just being the best you could be in the role that they gave you, right. and you were damn good at it. Yep. And then maybe in 03, you were thinking, hey, man, if I position myself appropriately, I'm going to get more opportunities off the field. I'm going to get an opportunity to get paid because a lot of the guys in the locker room are getting paid. And you're going to have more fame and notoriety because that's 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 a benefit of playing in the NFL, right? right? And not everybody gets the same amount. Correct. You know, you let's talk about real briefly the awesome football players you played with, like Priest Holmes, Tony Gonzalez, Will Shields is in the you know yeah two of those guys are in the um, Canton. Yep. Right. You played with some really good players, and and with Coach Vermeil was a coach. You had a run there of winning double-digit games every year. Mm-hmm. Thirteen and three, one year, got knocked out in the playoffs. I think against the Colts in the first round or in the divisional round. You had a high-profile offense, yes, and you were a big part of it. But I think what happens, and I, I think you hit on something I haven't had anyone else say. You can think too much. Yeah, for me, that's what it was. It was thinking too much. I mean, I was very fortunate. I look back, and Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer, Will Shields, Hall of Famer, Willie Rowe, Hall of Famer. If you want to throw kickers in there, Morton Anderson, Hall of Fame. I played with four Hall of Famers during my time in Kansas City. Like, that's really special to me um, because I was surrounded by all those guys. But on a personal level, you know, and they were all great guys and it was a blast playing with them during that time. But I think it, for me, it was, I couldn't, sometimes in my own head, didn't get out of my own way because you were thinking too much. It, it's no different than... If you're new to an offense as a receiver, right, and you've got an option route and you've got two or three different options on that route and it's against zone or man, and if he's inside leverage, you're breaking out. If he's outside leverage, you're breaking in. If he's kind of head up on you, you got to make a decision and go which way and not fool a quarterback. Sometimes you can think too much instead of just being decisive and going and doing it. That's just a physical play. But the mental side of in your own head, you hit on it. Hey, more endorsement opportunities are going to come for me if I keep playing the way I am. More, I'm going to get paid eventually if I keep playing the way I am. I'm going to be more of a part of this offense. I want to build off what I did the year before. You end up just overthinking everything as opposed to just going out and playing. And everybody talks about how, you know, 
from a physical standpoint, how the game slows down for people, right? Like you feel like the game's slowing down, whether it's a rookie quarterback in a second year or – I always felt the game felt slow to me anyway. But now you start thinking too much about everything else and the game starts speeding up again. When you're really not even thinking about – it has nothing to do with how you're playing. You just got all these other things in your head. You're overthinking things. And for me, that's what it was uh, in 03 for sure. In an NFL locker room, every NFL locker room, it's the brotherhood's what most people miss because mm-hmm. uh, it's a special place. You can act like kids. You can act like you're 14 again, even though you're 25. Share with us a PG, PG version, of course, of you know a situation that somebody got somebody. I think the biggest one that that I found hilarious every year that you did to rookies. Okay, because they've cut back on some of that stuff now, but you know. You always got to carry pads. You always got to do different things. You got a rookie who comes in and thinks he's he's all that. You know, maybe he's a second round pick, first round pick. Thinks he's all that. Starts talking a little smack to the to the vets, and you know, you got those mesh laundry bags. You know that you get. Mm-hmm. Well, you come in the next day, and you know, usually have two or three of them for practices. You know, the vets have filled a cooler full of water, um, not just soaked the clothes, but also. It's literally frozen in a block of ice, you know. So the rookies get up, say, oh, that's funny, right? Go back to the equipment guy. And the equipment guys are all in on this also. The equipment guy's like, yeah, I'll get you another bag. Here comes another cooler. They're all, everything's frozen in a solid <laughs> block of ice. There's a lot of that stuff. You mentioned the brotherhood. I think it's it's the one thing guys miss, going to the locker room every day and seeing those guys. Now, you don't get along with every single one of those guys. You all come from different backgrounds. It's what makes – I think athletics in general unique is you it makes it hard for coaches how do you mesh all those personalities together and get them on the same page and those that do are really successful in teams but you also know that brotherhood could fracture real quick in the locker room but for the most part I was a part of really good locker rooms uh, for my time in the Canadian Football League and then my time here in Kansas City a lot of really good veteran leadership and presence in there that for the most part the locker room was pretty unified and a lot of guys that knew what the common goal was and can put some differences aside, whether it's you're mad that you're not starting or whether it's, you know, you're pissed off at your buddy about something else, um, putting them together and and getting them in the right direction. But there's nothing like the locker room mentality, though, and being in there with the guys that you know you're going to battle with every Sunday. Let's talk X's and O's for a second. Describe to me your favorite passing play, when you used it, what position you were playing, what the routes were, and what the reads were for the quarterback and maybe a situation where it was successful. There's a lot of routes I'd like to run, but I think I always loved in our offense in Kansas City the four vertical routes because we had Eddie Kennison on the outside that could run, uh, myself in the slot on one side, Tony Gonzalez on the other side. And and you can run it against any kind of coverage. And we usually had a read for, for Tony to break it off on an in route or he could stop on a hook depending on the coverage if it was you know quarters coverage. If it's cover two uh, or the old Tampa two, whichever side the middle linebacker turned to, the other guy was was bending it to a seam. It provided a lot of flexibility, I think, to beat multiple coverages. It's a simple four vertical route concept. Backyard football. Backyard football, just everybody go deep. But there's more to it than that. There's more intricacies to it than that. You still got to read the coverage. You still got to know that if it's zone and I clear the safety coming down to Rob, uh, the crossing route that the ball is going to be coming to me from the quarterback right now. So as soon as I pass that guy, I got to get my head around. There's a lot of intricacies that the average football fan doesn't know what happens, even though it just looks like they're sending four guys deep. So that's one of my favorite routes of all time. Number one, you can stretch the ball vertically, but you can also 
affect the underneath coverage with a lot of with a lot of it. You, know, you got to have the right personnel to be able to run a lot of it. But it was a staple of our of our offense, and because you run that four vertical concept, you can run multiple other concepts off of it. With posts on the outside, corners on the inside, you know, dig routes, hook routes. There's so much that can come off of it. So I think that's probably my ultimate favorite. As a receiver coach, how would you coach a receiver to get off press coverage? Well, I think it 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 depends on who the receiver is, first of all. And I say that not I'm not saying if Antonio Brown's there, this is the way it should be done, or if this and it depends on the concept of your offense. For me as a six three playing weight, two twenty five guy. You know, I had quick feet, but I was going to beat people with my strength and power off the line. So my release moves were a lot different. I was more – I didn't do a lot of stutter stepping and moves and jabs at the line of scrimmage. I was make a quick move and go and get my get my shoulder skinny because if the defensive back got a shoulder on my chest, I'm beat. But if he gets it on the top of my shoulder pad, I've got him beat every single time. So – it varies uh, against press coverage and knowing which route you are. I started in Denver one year, and Champ Bailey was there. Okay, Now, one of those games, they put him on Tony Gonzalez the entire game. But the other time, he's out there. And at this point, Champ Bailey is a seven-, eight-year veteran. He's seen everything. You know, He's seen the short, quick guy. He's seen the average six-foot wide receiver who's quick. He's seen the big, powerful guy like me. So he's got more of an advantage over me than, than I have over him at that point. So... You've got to be a little a little more wily in what you do. I think I used to watch a lot of film, and I used to work release moves all the time. And I, from the moment I got here, before OTAs, after practices, just working on getting my shoulders skinny and just doing stuff. It's all repetition and getting comfortable on what you feel works for you. And there's times you got to remember the other guy's getting paid a lot of money too, <laughs> so he's going to win. I used to watch a lot of film on myself too, on just in one-on-ones or whatever that may be against your own guys in practice on what's working for you. Are you tipping off when you're going a certain direction? So, you know, if I want to beat a guy inside, your logical aspect is I'm going to give him a move outside first and then go inside. Well, if you do that every time and you take a step outside and then try to come back in, sooner or later that defensive back is patient enough to know that every time you go out there, I'm coming back. So you have to vary and and mix things up. Mark, when you look back at your NFL career, you obviously – Learn some life lessons. Mm-hmm. What's one of the life lessons that you gained from your experiences playing in the NFL that has helped you in your career after? I think dealing with adversity. Um, I've dealt with a lot of adversity after my playing career uh, as well. Uh, and there are times when you sit there and look at it and go, man, things just aren't going well for me, you know. But I've always bounced back in some capacity. You know, we talked a lot, a lot about my 02 and 03 year. Mentally, I came in 04 wiped the slate clean of 03. I was in the best spot I was mentally. I'd flip back to my 02 mentality. And then, you know, the second preseason game, I'd tear my ACL with nobody around, you know, 10 or 15 yards of me. Just happened. And so that was another setback for me. But I think just learning through my time playing, I was very grateful, and I still am to this day, that when I retired in 07 or 08, I guess, from playing professional football, I played eight years of professional ball. And for a kid out of a school of a thousand kids enrollment at an NAI level it was pretty darn good. So I think I'm very grateful for it. I think when I look back, I'm grateful for it. I think I learned a lot of lessons about adversity because I, I dealt with a lot of stuff in the NFL level, injuries. We talked about my mindset on frustrations of stuff that prepared me for life after that. And you still have a lot of things that knock you down in your life as you get going with things. But I think that's the, the one thing I've, I've dealt with a lot of situations. So I still go back and okay, how do I deal with, you know, 
in a job where I feel like I should be getting promoted, <laughs> right? And then because of a disagreement at work and where that is, um, you're no longer there, you know, because you felt you should have been somewhere necessarily you weren't. I mean, I go back to that a lot. So one of the things that I find in, in representing players for a long time, the mental operating system that I've seen for players has been their belief, their passion, their lifestyle, and their faith. And there for a while, I thought it was belief. I thought it was all about belief. You know, if a guy believed, it's self-fulfilling. It's right. just going to happen. Right. Okay. And if, it, if you don't believe, it's hard for it to happen. So as an athlete, people reflect you. You know, if you go out on the field and you got the swag and, and you got the mojo and you go down and you go get a ball out of your catching, they, think, they, they all peg you guys. They say, this is this guy's catching radius. You change it. Right. Okay. Because we've seen you do it once. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so, once you believe, and then your your performance is consistent with that, then the coaches believe, your teammates believe, and the opponents even know what's coming. And then when you look at just that, that's not enough. And then you look at passion. That's the that's the player's why. So I would ask you, you know, what was your why when you played? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, the belief is there. We talked about that. The passion. The why, I think, for me is because I love the game. I just loved playing football. I loved when things went well the way it made me feel. I loved when your teammates did something. The joy of winning, obviously, was big. I think, for me, the why was I just love playing football. There's a lot of guys in the NFL that just don't like football either, right? That that get down to it that if you really asked them and said, hey, why do you play this game? It's about there's other things. It's about money. It's about providing for my family. I mean, I, I'd look, maybe I'm different. I went to a smaller school, and I defied some of the odds, I think, in terms of making it. I think I was grateful for that, but I think my why was I just enjoyed playing the game. And my attitude when I went to Canada was just, hey, I think I can play. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So I think maybe I carried that through uh, my entire professional football career. For my why was I played the game because I loved to play the game. You know, it was nice to, to be paid for it, but I also feel like I, in 2005, 2006, my last year in the NFL, I was still playing it for the same reasons I was when I went to Canada to play for $32,000, $34,000 a year. You know, it was because I love playing. People ask me all the time, now, what do you miss about it? Well, first of all, I'm like, I've been retired now for like 11 years, so <laughs> it's, it's been a while. But like the number one thing you talk, I think you talk about, you missed the locker room, you missed the camaraderie with the guys. You miss game days. You know, people ask me all the time, I, you, I don't miss how my body felt on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You miss the day before games, knowing the anticipation of the last walkthrough, knowing you're going to get some rest, and then knowing the game's the next day, or knowing your walkthrough, and then you're headed to the airport to get on that charter flight to go play. You know, I, those are the parts you miss. You miss the atmosphere and the energy from the fans, but you miss just playing the game. That's the thing. You miss just playing the game. The next component of that mental operating system is your lifestyle. And I, I define lifestyle as your habits, your routine, your schedule, your discipline, your, the things you'll say no to because a, a lot of opportunities to party and, and do other things when you're playing in the league, um, how you take care of your body, mm-hmm. your pit crew, you know, chiropractor, massage therapist, different people like that. How would you coach up a young man going into the NFL today about the optimal lifestyle to be successful in the NFL? Well, I think it varies for each individual guy. But I would say this, that you got to take it seriously, you know, because it is your job. For me, 
you can still go out and have a good time and do the things you want to do. Number one, some of the things because your metabolism is higher at a younger age to be able to do a lot of that stuff. But too much, I think, goes on. Are you hurt or are you injured to be able to play? You know, there are a lot of stuff, a lot of guys that can't play through some injuries. And there are guys that can. But your body is your own temple. It is your best skill when you're a professional football player or yeah, a professional athlete. Asset. It is. It's your asset. Yep. And so if you can't be on the field, you're not going to get paid, right, if we're looking at it from that standpoint. So you got to you got to be disciplined enough to take care of your body. Times have changed now where a lot of these kids and guys coming up now in the league have been a part of strength and conditioning programs and different strength and conditioning programs when, when they're in high school. You know, it used to be at a high school, how was your strength and conditioning program? It was okay, and then they get to the college level and get them in an actual strength and conditioning program and guys blossom. Now so many of these kids, even at my kids' age, have – and my kids don't do this, but, you know, there are workouts and personal trainers available that people are doing, so they're exposed to more. You have to know your body. You have to know when your body needs a little bit of rest. And when, when I say that, it's not going out on a Thursday night to hang out with your buddies. It's more, I'm just going to sit at home because my body needs to rest, you know. And you can't deteriorate the things in your body with your recovery. I was never a supplement guy at all. Uh, hardly took any supplements my entire career. Number one, I was always worried that I was going to take something that who knows what was in it, you know, type of thing. It was before they had all the list of stuff and different things. But I just was never one of those people that believed in a lot of that stuff. But I know it's out there and a lot of guys do it. it that's all, it's all fine to do all those things. It's just a matter of you've got to know your body. I think nowadays people are researching their own bodies and knowing how their body reacts. And what works best for you in your workout regimen may be completely different than what works out for me. Because your body type's different, your metabolism's different, your genetic makeup is different. And so my advice, though, is understand that your body is your temple, and it is your biggest asset, and you've got to take care of it. And I think the big thing with that is routine. Figure out the routine that works for you. My routine every morning, because I was a wide receiver and I was smart, is I came in and ate breakfast with our quarterback every morning. <laughs> I was in early. He was one of the first people in didn't necessarily give me more balls thrown in my direction, but I got to learn more on a personal level. You start learning some of those things and building a trust outside of the game. I'm not saying every guy has to do that, but that was my start of my routine every day. And I had a routine and regiment that I went through before we got into our team meetings and then with my workouts throughout the course of the week, getting a massage once a week, you know, whatever it is for you that works in a routine, that's what you need to do. And there are requirements, you know, you have to work out four days a week or whatever that may be. But find a routine that works specifically for you within the scope of what's being asked of you within your team environment and stick to that routine because we're all creatures of habit. You know, um, I've always been an early riser. So for me, a lot of days I don't even have to set an alarm even though I do because once my body clock gets going, if, I, if I'm, my alarm is set for six, there's a lot of times I'll, I'll go two weeks straight of waking up at 5.55, 5.57. I don't even need the alarm even though I set it every day. Our bodies are creatures of habit too, so it's the more you can get into some sort of routine, uh, the better off you're going to be. Coach Vermeil was was he your only coach in Kansas City? Yep. Okay. Coach Vermeil is a coach that I respect tremendously. You know, he I had several conversations with him over the years, just saw him about a year ago. He goes to the Super Bowl every year. He is a man of high character. Mm -hmm. Okay, he, he he spread love through the locker room, but sh and I, and I don't know because I've never been in one of your locker rooms. Has he ever given like a motivational talk or halftime speech or any pregame speech or anything like that where you're like, 
holy smokes, that, I mean, just made an impact and it, and it showed up on the field. Uh, well, he gave a lot of speeches and a lot of them were fought through tears, you know, over time. Um, but I think the one difference for him was you hit it on the head when you said spread the love throughout the locker room. You know, he's got a few points of, of leadership success, but I think the one thing that that he always brought was, number one, he was genuine and honest all the time with you. He wasn't afraid to get after you if he needed to, but he also wasn't afraid to put your arm, his arm around you. Um, and I think he cared about you more as a person than he did a football player at first. I think that was the, the number one piece. A lot of guys say that, but he truly lives it. He always treated everybody with respect. He's been... Famous, I shouldn't say famous in his career, but he's he's taken some some opportunities with guys that were questionable character guys because he cared about them as people. Uh, they had talent, but also I feel like you know he sat there and looked at in the mirror and said, "I feel like I can help this guy out and help him with his life." And I think that's the part to me that he instilled all the way through our locker room in my time there because you know, he genuinely cared about you as a person. And he cared about each and every player. And he wasn't afraid to tell you he loved you. And he expected, not that he expected it back, but he wanted to treat you the way he wanted to be treated. So I think that's why he's got so much respect from so many different people because he had a unique ability to care about you. And I know it's cliche to say it, but to truly care about you as a person. I still, he will call me two times a year. I probably talk to him once or twice a year. And if he's coming to Kansas City, he will call all the guys that are still in the Kansas City area because he comes here with his wine and stuff now um, and we'll do a dinner and invite and now I haven't been able to attend a couple of them because I've been out of town or different things but he still has that connection with you as players and wants to stay in touch with you and, and wants to check in on how things that's are extremely with you. rare it is rare it is rare and it it was funny um in November or I guess it was December this year he was coming back to Kansas City because Tony Gonzalez was getting inducted in the Ring of Honor, and I was going to be out of town. So he actually called me, and so we had set a time for breakfast, like on a Monday or Tuesday. I guess maybe it was Wednesday we were going to have breakfast, and he called me on Monday. He tore his Achilles like on Saturday or Sunday, so he wasn't coming to town now, you know, type of thing. But I laugh about it because I got the call, and I didn't get a chance to answer it when he called, so it went to voicemail, and I figured he was just confirming our time for our breakfast. And so I called him and talked to him and everything else, but he felt bad. He was distraught because not only he torn his Achilles, but more so he wasn't going to be able to come back for Tony's Ring of Honor. He wasn't going to be able to see Trent. He wasn't going to be able to see a lot of the guys that were going to be back for that. That's a rare thing, though, for a coach to this long after that has passed to still have that type of connection or want to talk to guys. It's different than just calling you know, once every two years or you run into somebody at the Super Bowl or the events we're doing. and you know That's the thing. He truly cares about those players. That's, that was the unique aspect of it. Amen. All right, buddy. Thank you, Mark. You got it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pro Mindset. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five stars, of course. You can follow us on our website, promindsetpodcast.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pro Mindset Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time.